I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand how many are participating in the fast in some way. Some I know are, some might not be. But regardless of that, if you were here last Wednesday night, you know that, and if you were here Sunday morning, by the way, Sunday afternoon I got a text message from a friend who comes to the Wednesday night service, and he said, John, you may be slipping just a little bit mentally because you preached the same sermon on Sunday morning that you preached on Wednesday night. And I said, I do feel like I owe the Wednesday night crowd an apology, and so I want to issue that apology now. I tried to change it just a little bit. It was basically the same sermon. Because the reason was I felt like I didn't know any better way, even though I had another sermon prepared, I didn't know a better way to prepare us to meet with God than what we did last Wednesday night. So I just did it again on Sunday. But last Wednesday night and Sunday morning, we were in Exodus chapter 19 when the children of Israel were at the base, at the foot of Mount Sinai, and they were preparing to meet with God. Two million Jews at the foot of this mountain, and God is telling Moses some very specific instructions. Moses, you better get these people ready. You better get ready yourself. On the third day, three days from now, I'm coming down on that mountain. And did he ever? We saw it with thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. And here God came down on that mountain. But God said, Moses, before I come down to meet with you, before I tell you what you need to hear, you better get ready, and you better tell the people to get ready. And that was the sermon, Wednesday night and Sunday. You need to do this and that and consecrate yourself and prepare yourself and wait in my presence and all those things that we looked at. Now, as I was thinking about tonight, I thought, well, if last week we were talking about how we prepare to hear from God, wouldn't it be a good idea tonight to move from chapter 19 to chapter 20 and to see what it was that God said to Moses, ultimately to the people, and through him and them to us, and how God gave them the Ten Commandments. And so I want to just say this tonight. It, now, when it's over with, I may disagree with my own statement, and you may disagree with this statement. But at the beginning of the message, I want to say tonight that in my opinion, you've chosen a good night to come to church. Because we're going to study the Ten Commandments tonight. And when you walk out the door in just a few minutes, my goal, if you can't do it already is that you will be able to quote all ten of the commandments. So that's my objective tonight. We're not just memorizing, but that's one of the things we're going to do tonight. So open your Bibles, please, to Exodus chapter number 20. Moses now is on the top of Mount Sinai. He is ready to meet with God, and God is going to give Moses these ten commandments and Moses is going to write them down. And before we get into these tonight, I want us just to begin, and, and I want to read an extended passage of Scripture, 17 verses. And this will give us the Ten Commandments in chapter 20, beginning in verse number 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, out of the house of slavery. Now, here come the commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is, under, or that, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy 
to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son nor your daughter nor your male servant nor your female servant nor your cattle nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. And so there we have the Ten Commandments. The first four commandments have to do with our relationship with God. The other six commandments have to do with our relationships with each other. Now, what I want us to do tonight is to work ourselves through these Ten Commandments and can't do an exhaustive study. I mean, you could do a 10-week series on the Ten Commandments easily. But tonight, just to scoot through them and to memorize the Ten Commandments. I want to tell you when I did this. I was in seminary, grown up in the church, graduated from Baylor with a degree in religion under some of the finest professors that, in the world, actually, at that time. And I knew the Ten Commandments, but when I was in seminary, my first or second year in, if one of my professors would have said to me, John, can you quote the Ten Commandments? I would have probably said, I'm having a hard enough time keeping the Ten Commandments, much less quoting the Ten Commandments, because I could not have quoted the Ten Commandments at that time. And so I said, I've got to fix this problem. I can't be a seminary student unable to quote the Ten Commandments. This is embarrassing. And so I memorized them. And it didn't take long. And it was easier than I thought it would be. And so tonight, maybe you know them, maybe you don't. But I want to teach them to you the way I taught them to myself. In fact, I've only changed one word tonight on these ten. I've printed out the ten points. I mean, I printed, we have printed this out how I learned it myself in the early 1990s. Two columns of five so that it would be easy on your eyes so that you know, sometimes you'll hear somebody say, well, that person has a photographic memory. Actually, I think we all have a photographic memory. It's just a matter of how well we can take the picture. And so tonight, I've put two columns of five so that with your eyes, you can see those two columns so that you can close your eyes if you've studied it long enough and you could still see it. Or you could be walking out of here tonight. And in your mind, you could still see those two columns. And so quoting the, two command, the Ten Commandments is not so much a matter of memory as it is a matter of being able to take a clear mental picture and then to see that picture. I've told you before, W.A. Criswell, longtime pastor at First Baptist in Dallas, that's how he preached. He preached with no notes. But in his study, when he wrote his sermon... 
He had notes. He had an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper, and he wrote his notes on the front half, and he wrote his notes on the back half, and he divided those each side into a half, so there were four quadrants to his sermon notes. And so when he was up there standing before the people, in his mind, he was seeing which quadrant he was in. He had a photographic memory, but so do you. You have a photographic memory. You can. To prove this, how many of you have ever been on a vacation before? Raise your hand. All right. How many of you can remember something beautiful about that vacation? Raise your hand. How'd you do that? Because you took a mental picture. Say, I'm just trying to get you to take a picture of something besides a waterfall. I'm trying to get you to take a picture of these notes tonight that I'm giving you. And then you'll always be able to. It's not a matter of memory. It is, but it's not just memory. It's just seeing that picture in your mind and remembering what you have learned and what you have seen. So here are the Ten Commandments. Commandment number one, no other gods. Let's say that together. No other gods. Say it by yourselves. God said, I'm the Lord your God. I'm the one who brought you out of the land of Egypt. I'm the one who brought you from slavery to freedom. I'm the one leading you into the promised land. I am your God. And you shall have no other gods before me. That is, there shall, you shall have nothing in your life that is nearer to your heart than I am. No possession, no person, no thing, nothing. Because if you do, that would be idolatry. And so the first commandment is the most important commandment. God's starting, I mean, right there, putting the big picture out there. No other God. So let me ask you tonight, is there anything in your life that means more to you than God does? Because if so, whether it's a boat or a house or a car or a portfolio or a person, if that means more to you than God, then that person has become an idol in your life. And you need, or if it happens to me, I would need to deal with that and repent of that. No other gods. God said, I am first on the list. In fact, I think it's probably best if, if we're just ordering the most important people and things in our lives, just let God be number one, two, and three. And then whoever's four, that way they're not, there's no danger they're too close to it. Just let, put God way up at the top, at the top, dominating the top, no other gods before him. Now, the second commandment is this, no carved image. Now, when I taught this to myself, I said no graven image. But I looked at it today in the Bible, and even in the New King James, it says no carved image. Now, what does this mean, no carved image? One dedicated Christian whom I love and respect says that it means you should not have any pictures of Jesus. I disagree with that. I love that man. I appreciate his ministry. I do not, for one minute, think that's what this is talking about. It's not talking about no artistic creativity or no artistic design. And the way I know that, when the temple was built, God gave very specific instructions about carved images, <laughs> about the cherubim and uh, around the throne of God and the Ark of the Covenant and all these things. And God wanted these angels depicted and drawn and artistically designed. When, it, when God says no carved image, he's not saying that you can't have a picture of Jesus in your house. I have pictures of Jesus. I think, and I, I'd have to check, when I, I think I have a picture of Jesus in every room in my house. I have a picture of Jesus in the front of my Bible. God is not saying that these pictures are wrong. 
What God is saying is, don't make some carving of me and then bow down before that as though that carving is me. Let that carving remind you of me. Let that carving point you to me. I have pictures in my house not only of Jesus, I have pictures of my family. But if I want to talk to my dad, I don't go to the refrigerator and talk to the picture on the, on, on, on the refrigerator. I pick up the phone and call him and see how he's doing. That, I don't talk. I mean, that's not my dad. And so don't, I think the person who said you should never have a picture of Jesus, I, I think his heart was right. I think his mind was wrong. I think that is, a, that is an unbiblical explanation of the second commandment. But we shouldn't have any image of God or any image of anything God has made. Now keep in mind, back in Bible times, you had people worshiping things God had made. The stars, the moon, the sun. And so it would have been easy to have made an image of the sun or an image of the moon and to have bowed down to that image. I mean, in the 12 chapters from where we are tonight, they made an image of a golden calf and they worshiped the golden calf. That's what God is, that's what God is outlawing. That's what the second commandment is prohibiting, that you would not make a carved image and then bow down and worship, whether it's a calf, the sun, the moon, or even of God himself. So, commandment number two, no carved image. Let these beautiful drawings and pictures of Jesus and of his creation remind you of him. Deepen your faith, but don't worship those things. Worship God. So, commandment number two, no carved image. Say that with me. No carved image. So, number one, no other gods, no graven image. Number three, don't take God's name in vain. Now, that word vain, vanity, means empty. Don't use God's name in an irreligious, disrespectful way. A person should never say, and I don't even want to say, I don't want to say what you should never say and then me say it. But you should never say, oh my, I mean, don't say it, but we shouldn't say that. I don't think in our texting to each other, we should say, OMG, because that means that. We should never take the name of Jesus in vain. One of the things, and I'm not a, I'm, y'all know this, I'm not a prude. I'm not a, a judgmental soul. I'm not wired that way. I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm, much, I'm so aware of my own sin that uh, I'm hard on myself, but as a general rule, I'm very easy on others. I mean, I, I'm, I'm very redemptive. I'm trying to help people find forgiveness, and I'm not pointing out. But that being said, the one thing that rubs me wrong in the culture that we live in, maybe more than anything, is when somebody takes the name Jesus in vain. And you'll sometimes see it in a movie or on a TV show or a comedian will take the name Jesus in vain and use it, oh, and they just say that disrespectfully. Now, God says you ought not do that. That's a sin. Don't take God's name in vain. The name of God is a holy name. In fact, in Bible times... The name of God was so holy that the Jewish people wouldn't even pronounce the name. They, they wouldn't even, even say the name Yahweh. They, they wouldn't say that. Now, I think that's taking it too far. I mean, we can say God's name. He is our Father. But we don't want to take God's name in a, in a, in a way like that. You never would want to say, well, I swear by, and then take, put God's name in that. No, you don't do that. Jesus said, don't you be swearing at all, by the way. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Now, that doesn't mean if you're in jury duty 
and the judge says, raise your hand and solemnly. That doesn't mean that you're not supposed to do that. That, that's not the spirit of what Jesus, what Jesus was saying in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, don't swear, let your yes be yes and let your no be no. What Jesus was saying is, if I tell you that I'm going to be at your house tomorrow at 2 o'clock to fix your plumbing, which first of all, if I tell you that, you do know I've lost my mind. If I'm going to... But if I say that to you, I shouldn't say, I swear that I'll be there. Jesus said, no, why are you swearing, John? You just you, you be a man of your word. You say you're going to be there too, be there too. But by all means... Don't say, I swear to. No. That would be a sin. We should never use God's name, whether it's God, Lord, Jesus, any of God's name. We'd be very careful with how we use it. It's a holy name. And uh, we should be very reverent with how we use the name of God. So that's the third commandment. Don't take God's name in vain. Fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath. Let's say that together. Remember the Sabbath. See, I tried to word these 30 years ago or more as short, with as short of words as I could so that it would be easy to memorize. So the fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath. Now, here's the interesting thing about this one. This is the only commandment of all ten commandments that is not repeated in the New Testament. In fact, it's nullified in the New Testament. The New Testament says that under the new covenant, we are no longer commanded to keep, to remember the Sabbath. And I, you don't need to turn there, but I will read this to you tonight. You can write the reference down. Colossians chapter 2 and verses, um, let me find it. I was in a different Bible today. Yes, in verses 16 and 17. Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival, or a new moon, or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Now, before the resurrection, the people of God worshipped on the Sabbath. Why? Because in Genesis chapter 2, we read that after God created the world, it took God six days to create the world. On the seventh day, He rested. Now, the word Sabbath literally means to rest, to cease from work. And so, the first day of the week is Sunday. The seventh day of the week is Saturday. So, Saturday, now this would be true for Jews today. You go to Israel today, if you could, and you would notice that the devout Jews are still observing the seventh day, the Sabbath day. It is a day of rest. So much so that if you go into a Jewish hotel and get on the elevator on the Sabbath day, that elevator will stop on every floor so that you don't have to press the button that you're staying on because that would be considered work. That's, that's, that's how it is observed there. Now, Jesus, even in his ministry, had all kind of problems with, with how they interpreted the Sabbath day. I mean, Jesus was healing people on the Sabbath day many times. And the Jews were all over Jesus. That was one of the things that got the Jews against Jesus. They said, you should not heal on the Sabbath day. This is a day of rest. And Jesus basically said to them, you've missed the whole idea of God. You have missed the whole teaching of God. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And by doing good on the Sabbath day... 
uh, I'm not in any way violating what God has taught me to do. Even Jesus said to them, if one of your animals falls off into a, into a ditch on, a, on the Sabbath, won't you go draw him out of there? Sure. What about this lady here who's been bound and bent over for many years? You're telling me for me to, to unloose her on the Sabbath day is a sin of this man with a withered hand? You're telling me that I've sinned by? No. So they totally legalized the Sabbath, even when the Sabbath was still being observed. But after the resurrection, the, the holy day for Christians has shifted from Saturday to Sunday so that we don't have our services on Saturday. We don't, we don't do that. Wouldn't be wrong if you had a Saturday service, but we have our services on Sunday. It is the Lord's day. And let me give you a couple of scriptures. Won't look them up. But in Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, we read of an occasion where on the first day of the week, by the way, Sunday is the first day of the week, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when they are describing the resurrection of Jesus, they all use this phrase, on the first day of the week, to make clear, Jesus came out of that grave on Sunday, on the first day of the week. And so that is our day of worship. And in Acts chapter 20 and verse number 7, we find Paul on the first day of the week. He has him a congregation, and he's preaching. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 2, Paul says, On the first day of the week, when you come together, you bring your tithes then. So by, or not, I mean, immediately, really, after the resurrection, the emphasis is changed from Saturday to Sunday. So we're not obligated to observe the Sabbath. Now, that being said, we're under no spiritual command to honor the seventh day. Our day is Sunday, the Lord's day, the day of worship. But folks, look, even though we're not technically commanded to observe the Sabbath, we still have a need for a day of rest. We're, our bodies are no different than the bodies of Adam and Eve or, uh, I mean, God was even commanding rest to happen, talking about his rest before sin even entered the world, his rest. But what I'm saying is we still need a day every week where we can pull away and where we can be off. Now, whether you do that on Thursday, whether you do it on Saturday, whether you do that on Sunday. I mean, Sunday is a logical day for it to be your off day. If you're coming to church and you go home and you're off the rest of the day, but if you, you, know, if you have full responsibilities at a church or something on a Sunday, that couldn't be your true day off because you're working on that day. But we all need uh, a day off. I read years ago about a lady who came to see the pastor at, one, at whatever church she went to, and she came to the front desk and saw the reception. She said, I'm here today to meet with the pastor, and uh, I need to meet with him. I don't have an appointment, but I need to meet with him. She's very strong-willed, very dominant, you know, very quick, you know, strong like that. And the receptionist said, ma'am, I'm so sorry. It's, it's uh, Thursday, and this is our pastor's off day. Our pastor's off on Thursday. And she said, what kind of church is this where the pastor takes a day off during the week? I never take a day off. And the receptionist, the next day when the pastor came back, told the pastor, said, this lady came by. She's mad at you for being off on Thursday. And, and uh, she said she never takes a day off. Pastor said, the next time that lady comes back, you tell her, if I didn't take a day off, I'd be as mean as she is. <laughs> I'd be just like that because we need a day to unplug and to decompress. But we're not under the legal obligation of the Sabbath. We are under an obligation to worship God on the Lord's day. 
And we can't be legalistic about that. But I think even on, I think on Sundays, look, Sundays are sacred. I'm as big a sports fan as there is. I do think it's a shame that Sundays have largely, that Sundays now belong to the NFL. I, I think, I, 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 I watch the game. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to be a hypocrite and say I don't ever watch the game because I do watch the games. But I just think that, I think that's a sad thing. I wish they played on another day because Sunday is, is the Lord's day. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't watch games. It, it's a time, it is a time to rest. I, that's one reason I watch some games on Sunday. Afternoon, you can rest, you can relax. But in, even in the spirit of that, we want to remember that Sunday is the Lord's day. And we don't want to be legal with that and say you can't watch the games. You can watch the games. You can do whatever you want to do. But you should do it in a spirit of reverence and remembering this is the Lord's day. You still with me? Saying amen. Say amen. So those are the first four commandments. Let's see if we can quote those. No other gods, no carved image, don't take God's name in vain, remember the Sabbath. Commandment number five, honor your father and mother. Now, this commandment, God said to Moses, Moses, tell the people to honor their parents. And if they do, I'm going to give them a long life. It's the first commandment that has a promise attached to it. I told you on Sunday that last Saturday I did a funeral for one of our members, Esther Rasco, who was 103 years old. And a lady named Stephanie got up at the service to do a eulogy. She had been one of the health care providers for Miss Rasco for the last couple of years in her life. She'd go to her, she had 24-hour health care, people coming in, taking care of her. And Stephanie was one of those ladies. She cooked all of her meals. And one day, Stephanie and Miss Rasco were talking. And Miss Rasco said, Stephanie, I'm 101 or 100, however old she was in, 102 years old. I just can't figure out why I'm still here. I can't figure out why God hadn't taken me home yet. And Stephanie said, Miss Rasco, let me ask you a question. When you were a little girl, did you love your parents? She said, well, yes. I love did you, when you were growing up, did you honor your parents? Yes. Oh, no, I wasn't, per- I wasn't a perfect kid. But I always, even when I was an adult, when I was grown, I tried to always honor my parents. And Stephanie said, Miss Rasco, I think we know why you're still here. You honored your parents, and God has given you a long life. It's interesting. But we're under the, when we're young... We're under the command to obey our parents, right? Ephesians chapter 5. But when we grow up, we're still under the command to honor our parents. It doesn't matter whether we're young or whether we're old. We have to honor our parents, and it is the first commandment that has a promise attached to it. So honor your parents. Even if your parents are in heaven now, you can still honor your parents by doing what they taught you to do, if they taught you to do the right thing. By speaking highly of them, they don't have to be alive for you to honor them. You honor your parents. And uh, God says if you do that, uh, there's going to be a special blessing attached to that. Now, those are, that's the first column. No other gods, no graven image. Don't take God's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath for us today. Worship the Lord on his day, the first day of the week. And then honor your parents. Now, this second column goes really quick. Six, seven, and eight, if you can remember the uh, letters, M-A-S, mass, you've just learned 
those commandments. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, and don't steal. Let's just say those together. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, and don't steal. Murder is talking here about the premeditated taking of human life in anger and in vengeance. Now, I want to say something that may not apply to anybody in this service tonight, but it may apply to one person. I would say about 15 or 20 years ago, a couple joined our church one Sunday, an older couple. And I was with them in the decision room, like I try to be every Sunday. And I was talking to them. We're so glad you've joined the church. And the man was very emotional. And he said, John, I need to talk to you. I don't know you, but I need to talk to you. He said, is there any way that we could set up a time to talk? He said, it's very serious. It has to do with God and my relationship with him. Well, I didn't know if the man was unsaved or not sure of his salvation. So we set up a time the next week to talk. In fact, I went to he and his wife's house. And I told them how glad we were they had joined First Baptist and talked to the wife. She told me about her salvation, no doubt about her salvation. I asked the husband if he was saved. He told me about his salvation experience. But basically he said, even though I gave my heart to Jesus when I was young, I don't know whether or not I'm saved. He said, I have done something that I think is unforgivable. And I need to talk to you about it. I don't know what to do. I said, well, what is it that you think, what is it that you've done? He said, well, I was in the service. I can't remember which war he was in. Might have been World War II or the Korean War. I don't remember. Maybe Vietnam. Maybe Vietnam. He said, John, war is a horrible thing. When people say war is hell, they're telling the truth. It is horrible. And he said, when I was in war, not because I wanted to, but because I had to, I killed people. And now I fear that I have broken the Ten Commandments. I cannot go back and undo it. I cannot bring those people's lives back. I did not want to shoot anybody, John. They were shooting at us. We were under orders. It was war. At the time, I didn't think about it. I I didn't want it, but I just... He said, now I've committed the sin of murder, and I don't think God can forgive me. I said, well, sir, first of all, I'm touched by your conscientiousness and by your tender heart for God. But let me assure you that you have not committed the sin of murder. Because in, there are different Hebrew words, killing, murder. I said, the Ten Commandments, That commandment that says, thou shalt not murder, is not talking about what you did in the war. That is combat. That is is not premeditated. That is not vengeful. That is war, and that is awful. But that's not what God is talking about here. And I say that tonight because I have a lot of friends who have served in the military, some my age, some younger now, and some much older than I am, who have been in battle, and they have had those exchanges, and they have worried that they have committed the sin of murder. And I want to say to you tonight, on the authority of God's Word, you have not committed the sin of murder. You did, you were in a, you were in a military, you were in war. You did something you would never have done had you not been in that setting. You did something you had no choice but do. That's what war is, and it's part of it. But that is not the sin of murder. And so you have not, you're not guilty of that. Now, you, some, 
Somebody may be thinking, well, hey, what if somebody is guilty of the sin of murder? I mean, I've preached in some of these prisons and had some of those inmates come up to me after the service telling me that they committed the sin of murder. What is the word for them? The word for them is the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin, even the sin of murder. So I'm giving out a double message tonight. I'm saying war, taking life in war, as horrible as that is and as difficult as that must be, that is not murder. But even if a person has committed murder, Moses did, David did indirectly, and yet God forgave him, and David said, blessed is the man whose sin is forgiven. And... uh, whose transgression the Lord will not remember. But nonetheless, now we go to the New Testament. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, you have heard that it was said, thou shalt not murder. And those Pharisees shaking their heads saying, that's right. And we never have. We never have murdered anybody. Jesus said, but I say to you, if you have hatred in your heart towards another person, you're already guilty of murder. You just didn't pull the trigger. You're not facing the same consequences, but there is a sense in which you've committed the same sin because your heart's not right. See, when Jesus said, I didn't come to nullify the law or I didn't come to to, uh, take away the law. I came to fulfill the law. Jesus is is taking the law to a higher standard than Moses and that God took it to in the Old Testament, that Moses took it to. Jesus is saying, it's not just the act. It is the heart. It is the thought. Look at the next commandment, the seventh commandment. Do not commit adultery. Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Pharisees shaking their head. That's right. I never have slipped. I never have done that one. I've never committed adultery. Jesus said, But I say to you, if you have ever looked at a woman with lust in your heart, you have committed adultery with her in your heart. Now, not the act. The consequences are different, but there is still in your heart the the sin of adultery. And Jesus basically saying to them, it may be in some cases the only reason you didn't commit adultery is you didn't have a chance. You didn't have the opportunity. But in your heart, you committed it. What is Jesus saying? Jesus and the, the, the entire teaching of Scripture, it's not just the action. It is the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. And so, do not commit adultery. But for us today, even in our heart, no lusting, no saying, well, I wish I was married to his wife, or I wish I was with her. No, that's not allowed. That's sin. That's lust. That's envy. That's coveting. And God, Jesus said it's adultery in your heart. Next commandment, no, do not murder, do not commit adultery. And the next one is do not steal. Don't take what doesn't belong to you. Now, stealing, when a person steals, basically what they're saying is, I don't trust God to meet my needs, so I have to take something that belongs to you. Now, I know tonight, it's Wednesday night in church. I don't think there's anybody in here guilty of, of stealing. But I don't know that. But the Bible says that we should not steal. Don't take what doesn't belong to you. The ninth commandment, don't bear false witness. Don't lie. You know, this would be a good sermon just on this one. Because I'm telling you, we're living in a day today where a person can just lie. And nobody even thinks anything about it. A person can just say something that is an obvious 
bold-faced lie. And people just go along with it and say, well, I like him. And so, you know, somebody I don't like, you know, uh, they said something. And, you know, that mu- if they said, look, it is possible for the sake of the argument that somebody that you don't like could tell the truth every now and then. And it's also possible that somebody you do like could tell a lie every now and then. But what I'm saying is, in this world we live in today, truth has become relative at best. People talk about, well, this is my truth. Well, this is her truth. Well, this is his truth. Folks, it's not about my truth, her truth, his truth, your truth. It's about the truth. It's not about what party you're in. It's not about where you work. It's not about any. It's about do the word are the words coming out of your mouth true or false? And God says, don't tell a lie. Don't bear false witness. Speak truth. And our as as just people in the world today, when we're talking to people or when we're listening to people, no matter who the person is, we should say to ourselves, is this true? Is what is being said true, or are they playing me like a drum? So God says, don't bear false witness. The Tenth Commandment, don't covet. Don't covet. In other words, see, getting back here to the heart. Because God now is saying, it's not just about not taking what belongs to somebody else. It's about not wishing you had what somebody else has. Let me give you a scripture verse on this. In Romans chapter 7 and verse number 7, Paul is speaking, and Paul is talking about how he became convicted of sin in his own life. Romans 7 verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? See, he had been teaching we're not saved by keeping the law. We're, We're saved by trusting Christ. The law was never intended to save us. The law, in Galatians we read, was like a tutor that was intended to take us by the hand and lead us to Jesus. The law is a mirror. It reveals our sinfulness, and then that leads us to Jesus. But since Paul had been saying the law doesn't save, the law doesn't save, he comes around here and says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. Now listen to this. Paul said, for I would not have known covetousness. Unless the law had said, you shall not covet. You see, up until this time in Paul's life, as a, as, a prayer, as a proud Pharisee, as a religious leader of his day, the son of a Pharisee, Paul could have read the Ten Commandments and said, no other gods, I've never done that. No carved image that I'm I've never done that. Don't take God's name in vain, I've never done that. Remember the Sabbath? I've always done that. Honor your father and mother? I've always done that. Paul would have given himself a check on the first five commandments. Second list, don't murder. Well, depending on what he did with some of those early Christians, that one one may have gotten him. Don't commit adultery? Paul would have said, I never did that. Don't steal? I've never done that. Don't bear false witness? Paul said, I've never told a lie. But when he thought about those commandments, I never committed adultery. I've never stolen. But I couldn't say I never wanted to. And I committed the sin of coveting. And that's what it was that convicted him of his need for God. So the second list, M-A-S, 
Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal. Say that with me. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal. Don't. And then the last one, on, on the end, just remember B.C., B.C., like before Christ. Don't bear false witness, don't covet. Let's say that together. Don't bear false witness, don't covet. Say it again. Don't bear false witness, don't covet. Now, you're still awake? Say amen. You're like, you faded on me on those last few commandments. I think I lost some of you on stealing, and you never got back with me. Let's see if we can say that second list out loud. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't covet. Now, the first part, let's try that. No other gods, no carved image, don't take God's name in vain. Let's just stop right there. The first two, don't, don't. And I'm sorry, no, no. No other gods, no carved image. No, no. No other gods, no carved image. The third is don't. Don't take God's name in vain. Four and five, if you can remember, R-H. R-H. Remember the Sabbath. Honor your father and mother. So let's try that. I think I've confused all of you on that, but let's, let's, <laughs> let's try that. No other gods, no graven image. Don't take God's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath. Honor your father and mother. Now, see, on that first list, the only don't is the third commandment. Whereas on the second list, they're all don't. But on the first list, no, no, don't, R-H. Let's just say that. No, no, don't, R-H. Do it again. No, no, don't, R-H. Second column. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, and don't covet. Now, let's see if we can put all that together. Then we're going to stop, okay? No other gods, no graven image. Don't take God's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath. Honor your father and mother. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't covet. I think we should give ourselves a hand. That is pretty good. Now, tonight, we have learned the Ten Commandments. Now, here's the challenge. Let's go out there and live the Ten Commandments. Amen? Father, it's probably easier to learn them than it is to live them. But if we don't know what they are, we don't have a chance. So help us tonight as we go from here to have no other gods before you, nothing in our lives that means more to us than you do. No carved image, nothing that we would bow down to and worship except you. God, help us never to take your name in vain. God, even though we're not under the Sabbath anymore, help us to to remember the Sabbath, the spirit of the Sabbath. We do need a day of rest. Our bodies and our minds need that. And God, we need to, on the Lord's day, worship you. And we can do other things too. But it should still be the Lord's day that's in our heart. God, help us to honor our parents. Help us, God, not ever to murder anybody. Help us physically not to murder anybody, but in our hearts. Help us not to have hatred or bitterness or anger. God, help us not to murder people with our words. We could go out of here tonight and slander and gossip and say, well, I haven't murdered anybody. Look, you just murdered somebody's reputation. Help us not to do it. Help us not to commit adultery, God. Physically. Or in our hearts or in our minds. No. But to have pure hearts and clean minds. God, help us not to steal. 
to take that that belongs to somebody else. God, help us not to steal and rob from you by failing to tithe. That was a major sin in the Old Testament that caused you to say, you have robbed me. God, that would be the worst person to steal from would be you. Help us not to help us not to do that. Help us not to bear false with God. Help us not to tell lies. Give us enough sense and discernment not to believe lies. Give us give us the ability to look at a situation and to know what's true and what's false, no matter who says it. But God help us not to be liars. God help us not to covet another man's wife or. For a lady, another woman's husband, or another person's house, or their car, or their money, or their position, or their job. No. Help us to be thankful and content with what we have. And even teach us, Lord, to rejoice over other people's blessings. Now, with our heads bowed and eyes closed tonight, you say, John, you're going to give a salvation call tonight after a sermon on the Ten Commandments? Yes, I am. Because we've just studied the law of God tonight. And God's Spirit may well have revealed to you tonight that you have broken one of these laws. Or maybe two or three or four or five of them. Maybe like Paul. It's not anything really externally. But it's that coveting. And you need to be saved. And so tonight as we study the Ten Commandments, the law of God is bringing you from Mount Sinai to Mount Calvary where you can be saved and forgiven. Pray this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, tonight I see my sin and I am sorry. If I could go back and undo it, I would. But God, I cannot go back and I need you to forgive me and cleanse me with the blood of Jesus. And tonight, God, come live in my heart and make me a Christian and make me a new person and give me a new beginning in my life.